Paul writes 1 Timothy to tell Timothy, counter false teaching in Ephesus. That's why I'm telling you to stay there, counter it. And when he gets around to saying what he should do first, beginning of chapter two, first of all, then I urge you to pray. So people ask me all the time, what are you going to do about all of this false teaching? But very few people turn up to the prayer meetings to pray about it. So that should be our first of all response to any of this. Hello and welcome to Independence, the FIEC podcast for FIEC leaders and other leaders too. And uh, another leader is with me. My name is Adrian Reynolds, Head of National Ministries for the FIEC. And I'm joined today by Lee Gatiss. Hello, Lee. Nice to see you. And, and also um, with you. Yes, and also with you. We are going to be talking about the Anglican Church. So thank you for just rooting that in an appropriate liturgical introduction. Um, Lee, uh, uh, we'd love to know what you do, but I think I need to ask you where you are, because it it, it looks like you are a, an Anglican on steroids with pictures of the great and good Anglican. Uh, is that your bedroom wall? Is that how you, um, you've kept your marriage uh, fire alight all these years? Or um, where are you? That's right. Well, I mean, obviously, I do have portraits of uh, David Peterson and Mike Obi up in my house as well. But I'm actually uh, away from home at the moment. I'm here at Oak Hill Theological College in London. Uh, and that's why uh, we have these marvellous portraits of the great and the good um, as the backdrop. I'm doing on a bit of study leave just uh, for a few days to do some work on a commentary series that I'm... Okay, well, tell us us about that. uh, This is a new commentary series, isn't it? Um, It is. Does the world need another commentary series? What's special about this one, other than it's edited by Lee Gatiss? What else is is important (laughs) about this one? That obviously will be distinctive enough to to get people... Well, indeed. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, when I was ordained as an Anglican, I was told to proclaim afresh in this generation the unchanging gospel. Um, And so that's what every commentary series does too. So um, if you look at something like the Bible Speaks Today commentaries from the last generation or two. Yeah, much loved. um, Much loved and greatly used. I mean, uh, John Stott's commentary on 2 Timothy was very influential on persuading me to to be an ordained minister, um, for example. They are, um, they're a little bit old now. They're a little bit, as i pithily put it, they're male, pale and stale um, to a certain extent. I'm glad Um, I didn't write one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're still usable, but they are a bit getting a bit old um, and don't interact with 21st century concerns or with um, more recent scholarship. So Mm. there's always all worldwide concerns to a certain extent. Well, exactly. And so that's what we've done, really. Uh, Building on the back of the NIV Proclamation Bible, which I edited a few years ago, um, we had 65 scholars involved in that with, um, well, they were from about four continents all over the world. And uh, and Hodder said to me, what can we do on the back of this? Um, What's the next project? And I foolishly suggested one thing they might mm-hmm. consider would be to to produce a new 50-volume Bible commentary series, trying to replace the, the Bible Speaks Today sort of series. Good, great for preachers, oh, that's but your also level. for yeah, Bible study group leaders mm-hmm. as well. So get the best scholars and pastors and writers involved um, from all over the world and get them writing for the church, really, not for the academy. Okay. So when should we look out for those volumes dropping soon? Or do we have to hold our breath? 
That depends on how well I do during my time at Oak Hill this week. Okay. But uh, uh, the, the first volumes are scheduled to come out next year, 2024, in the summer. We hope to have five, maybe 10 volumes next year um, out of the 50. So the ones I've um, been editing so far are terrific. There's an excellent commentary on Luke's gospel by the man behind me, by uh, David Peterson there, um, which is going to be terrific. Um, but also a great commentary by Eric Ortland here at Oak Hill on Ecclesiastes. And I don't mind telling you, I had a tear or two in my eyes as I was reading the last couple of pages of that one. It's very moving as well as sound and great. helpful. Well, you've whetted our appetite, Lee. Thanks very much. But we're, we're not here to talk about commentaries. We're here to talk about the Church of England, the Anglican oh. Church. And yeah. um, well, we do, we do have to. And um, let me just explain why I think we have to. Um, so the podcast is mainly for FIC leaders, leaders of independent churches, not exclusively people who listen to it. But we're concerned for the gospel wherever it's preached and proclaimed. And I, I, I think one of the remarkable things really that's happened in the last 20 years in in Britain amongst evangelicals is we've become a lot less parochial. Um, you know, we, we understand the importance of gospel partnership. Many of us are in gospel partnerships. Many of us will be mates with people serving in Anglican churches in all kinds of contexts. We'll have perhaps trained with them. We might have uh, attended something with them over the years. And, and we long to see the gospel flourish. And, and we're, we're a little perplexed. We just don't we don't quite understand what's going on, Lee. We want to be able to pray well. We also want to be able to support brothers and sisters who are serving in Anglican church as well. We're nervous about making missteps. Um, you know, we, we, we want to act in a way that's, that's godly and helpful. We don't want to be unhelpful. And so, Lee, we're, we're really helping and, and hoping and thankful that you're here today to really walk us through so we can understand some of what's going on and we can know how we can support some of our Anglican brothers and sisters, we, we see the great importance of standing firm for the truth. And we want to know how to help brothers and sisters do that as, as we know they do for us. So yeah, well, that, that fellowship and the partnerships that we have between Anglicans and FIC and Presbyterians and others who are on the same page when it comes to the gospel and the need for mission, um, you know, those partnerships are deeply um, important and precious to us. So uh, I hope we will be able to, to guard those and um, encourage one another in, in difficult times. Thank you. Now, uh, can we start by understanding what's going on? So here we are at the end of June, which means July is almost upon us. And um, it, it would be good if you could just reflect briefly for us, Lee, on, on what happened earlier in the year. But also we were kind of expecting July to be the big, you know, kickoff moment but I, I think the only thing that's been kicked is the can it seems but um, <laughs> maybe we just need to understand that a little better so can you just give us a, a, a kind of a, a brief overview of where we're up to with the living in love and faith process and, and, and what's going on at the moment yeah so the Church of England has been embroiled in this living in love and faith process for several years now there's been a book and all sorts of material and discussions about um, homosexuality sexuality in general marriage identity and so on um, in the February general which is sorry it's, it's worth saying alive issues wherever you're serving I mean it doesn't well, matter yes, what kind yeah. of church you're serving in if you're a yeah. pastor in a church these are live issues aren't you for wherever oh. you are Completely. Yes, that's yeah. right. Particularly issues of um, 
uh, transgender yeah, identity yeah. and so on at the moment are very hot button issues all over the world. So the Church of England, I mean, we've been talking about this for 40 years in the Church of England. Um, at least, only that long. <laughs> only that long, yeah. Uh, but in depth for at least 10 years, uh, maybe longer. Um, and this latest thing is LLF, Living in Love and Faith. At the February Synod, General Synod meeting, uh, the bishops just suddenly presented us with prayers of love and faith. So there was no warrant that I could see within the LLF material to justify a change in our doctrine. It just wasn't doing that. It wasn't arguing for something. Um, so the next thing you expected was, well, if the bishops want to do something, they ought to make a case for it and tell us why. Yeah, yeah. There was none of that. There was nothing, nothing, no theological paper, no biblical justification, no even pragmatic justification. Just suddenly dropped on us were some prayers of love and faith, um, which were designed not to, um, not to have gay weddings in church. It's not that. Um, the idea is to have prayers of blessing and dedication for those who are in partnerships, in same-sex relationships of various kinds. Um, and it is sometimes quite vague. Um, and it makes you wonder what kind of partnerships they've got in, in mind. But it's clear. So this is more than just turning a blind eye to something. This is actively yes. praying actively for praying something. for blessing okay. upon okay. them. And what the interesting thing is, is a lot of the prayers that were suggested by the bishops have been taken directly from the marriage service. So okay. it's very clear what's going on. Some of it's brand new, but some of it's just taken out of the marriage service. So that's what it's about. Now, these were supposed to be just put forward as an optional um, uh, provision for those who want to use so them. So you're not obliged to, to, to no, use these not, with a couple? Not obliged, not mandatory. At least that's what they say. Of course, we all know where these things go. Um, and there's a well-known law in the church that uh, when you make orthodoxy optional, then very soon it will be banned. Mm. Um, and we've seen that on other issues in the past. So it is just this power play from the bishops um, and at the same time, a sort of Jedi mind trick. So they've said to us... These are um, not the prayers you think they are. Yes, these are, this is not a change of doctrine. <laughs> okay. This is not the change of doctrine you think it is. So Anglican doctrine has long been sex outside of marriage is a sin and should be called... Yeah, yeah. So that's Lambeth, Lambeth. 110 that we often Back to the about. 1987 General okay. Synod motion, the Lambeth 1998 resolutions. Um, that's what we've always said. But suddenly we're to believe that we're not changing that, but we are going to bless relationships outside of that. And the bishops just say, this is not a change of doctrine. When everyone can see it clearly is. Um, so obviously there was quite a lot of pushback against that um, in the General Synod. Though it did narrowly scrape through, but only on the basis that um, the bishops would definitely make sure that whatever they brought back to the synod for final approval in July or whenever would definitely not be a departure from Anglican doctrine. So they've got to somehow square this circle. Persuade so it wasn't really a vote up. of approval. It was a vote of... Um... It wasn't saying no, but it wasn't saying yes either, really. It was point. sort of take this forward, but make sure it's not, definitely not, a departure from our right. doctrine or indicative of a departure yeah. from our doctrine. Yeah. Um, at the same time, just after that, or, uh, rather, there was a large meeting of Anglicans from all over the world 
in what's called GAFCON, the Global Anglican Futures Conference. It's a bad name. Is it a GAF? Is it a con? Who knows? It's a, a <laughs> I think it's, it sounds like it's both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's a gathering of those who don't want the church worldwide to be liberal, basically. They want to push back on the changes in the last 20 years um, in this sort of direction. So it's not all evangelical. Some of it's quite high church, um, but it's people who don't like this more liberal agenda. And that was very encouraging. I was there. It was, um, it was an encouraging time in Rwanda. Um, I had to pay for my ticket. I wasn't sent <laughs> by uh, the home well, You missed a trick there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was very encouraging because they said they held the line on those issues and said that they would support, encourage and pray for those of us within the Church of England who were, were trying to push back against this. They've also set up the Anglican Mission in England and other things to, to um, basically provide a lifeboat outside the Church of England for those who want to have international backing right. without being in the Church of England. And that's great. But they also said they support us in it, in it and staying in it. Um, is it, is it, it was worth it? Because it showed us that we're not the weirdos. Yes. You know, church so, are not the weirdos here. We are on the same page as Anglicans around the world. And, and not just Anglicans, Christians. It, it, it's well, not, yes. The overwhelming majority, and not just a majority, super majority, whatever the technical term is, of Christians yeah. around the world take an orthodox view of marriage, they do. as do the overwhelming super majority of Anglicans. That's right, isn't it? They do. 85% of Anglicans um, in church on Sunday were represented at that GAFCON conference. Okay. Uh, and we overwhelmingly <laughs> yeah. you know, passed that, that resolution. So there was that. Then also the, the Church of England Evangelical Council has also been meeting and talking and discussing. Now, that's a group which is broader than church society. Church society is really the sort of conservative reforms, complementarian mostly, um, evangelicals within the church. You're like the FIC of the Anglican world. That's it. Well, that you... I feel proud to bear that kind of <laughs> Yes, thank you. Do you um, have any authority, Lee, personally? I have authority um, uh, over my staff, I suppose. Okay, not you, are the, the okay you are the FIC of the Anglican world, and that's how I like <laughs> to describe it. Okay. That's it, yes. Um, are you going to persuade me that we should be Congregationalists next? Don't do that. I'm, I'm, um, that's it now for my persuasion. But the CEEC is a group that's a bit broader than us, and it includes charismatics, such as New Wine, people in New Wine, and it includes those who are egalitarian on the issues of women's ordination, mm -hmm. as well as complementarian. So HTB part of that? That's a, that's a lot more huge network, isn't it? It's sort of a fringe part of okay. the CEC network okay. in various ways, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've been meeting, and obviously all on the same sort of page, wanting to push back against these things, and coordinate our efforts on that. So we're working together to, in co-belligerent sort of way and organizing in synod and outside against these developments. Just before we move on from that, that synod, can I just ask you a technical question? Yeah. And then I've got a slightly harder question, um, just about the status as it was. Where does authority lie in the Anglican Church? Is it is it with bishops? Is it with with the Church of England? Is it bishops? Is it is it the Archbishop? Is it the Synod? Who has the ultimate say? How does that work? Very briefly. Well, um, the head of the Church of England is um, the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so our doctrine, officially and legally, is defined by the Scriptures. Right. 
and the teachings of the scriptures, the teachings of the early church fathers that are in accordance with the scriptures, things like the creeds. Um, and you particularly find our doctrine in the 39 articles, the Book of Common Prayer and the, the ordinal, the homilies, things like that, officially. And then um, uh, to enforce that, we have bishops in every diocese. Now, every diocese is different. There's 40 or so dioceses around the country um, and one in Europe. There's the Diocese of Europe. Um, and uh, there are synods at every level too to involve the clergy and the laity alongside the bishops. So there's quite a lot of balancing of powers and authorities and ability to do things throughout the system, right. um, from the local to the diocesan to the national, and laity and clergy are involved at every level alongside the bishops. So that's it's really a okay. diffused power. Okay. It's... it's um, so you have to be you have to be fighting at all those different levels, really, for the truth. Well, that's Contending right. So what the, the appointments in a church, for example, who's going to be the next vicar? Um, the power there is shared between the congregation, the bishop, and the patron. In a church society, we're patrons okay. in 130 parishes, so we have a say and are supposed to basically support the parish against the bishop right. often uh, to find the next vicar. So that is an example, a snapshot of where the power lies. Okay, Lee, can I ask you a difficult question, which I, I, I don't mean to be offensive. Um, I, re I really don't mean to be offensive, but I don't want to ask my mate around the corner this question because it's not the right moment, but I do want to understand the answer. Um, I, I, I read an extraordinary article by Richard Coles, ex of the Communards, now ex vicar, from just around the corner here, actually, yes. um, in the Times a few weeks ago, basically saying he's been doing this all along. He's been marrying people. So, um, so you know, forgive the bluntness. It isn't aren't, aren't the prayers just essentially representing what's already happening? How how would you respond to that? In one way, yes. We all know that there have been people nibbling away at orthodoxy in that way, but in another and in way, other ways as well. And that's that's I, true. Always, that's true for all kinds of church groupings, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And in other ways, no, it's not, it's not just the same old, same old. So, I mean, many years ago, we had a bishop uh, of Durham who went around saying that the resurrection was a conjuring trick with bones. Yes, but yeah. that wasn't the official position of the Church of England. Mm. We've had bishops who say there is no God, you know, uh, honest to God, John yeah, yeah, Robinson, yeah. and so on. But that's not been the official position of the Church of okay, England. Okay, so that's helpful. So that's the sea change. It's, it's, it's changing yes. the official position. And yes. actually... Whether Richard Coles got away with it or not, that's a question of discipline. That's not a question of doctrine. Yes. It, that's the wrong that's category right. for it. Right. That's and helpful. I don't think his bishop necessarily knew that he was doing no, that. No, no, that's, he, I mean, he, he said had, that. He might have he been said disciplined that. for it. Um, that is one of the problems, actually. We've had a breakdown in discipline. The General Synod decided many years ago, when it was refreshing the clergy discipline measure, that it would explicitly exclude doctrine and ritual from the discipline measure. So you can okay. be disciplined for sleeping with your secretary or whatever, but you can't be disciplined for any matters of doctrine or ritual under the new measure. So you have to go okay. back to archaic laws that nobody's ever used, and it just makes it very difficult as a free-for-all, basically. I could preach almost anything I wanted in a, in a Church of England church and get away yeah, with it. But you can't run down the street naked. Uh, no, I'd probably be, I'd probably no. be disciplined for that. Um, Lee, let's press on because we'll, we'll run out of time. Um, we yeah. expect we expected looking in for this all to be resolved in July. That's what they said. That's not going to happen, right? 
No, it's not. So they split into three different groups to look at the prayers, to look at pastoral guidance that needs to replace the current guidance on the behavior of the clergy. And that's going to look at things like, is it all right for us to have sex outside of marriage? And what do you do if someone's in a gay marriage? Currently, that's not allowed. All those things are not allowed um, and have held. You know, you're not allowed to get married to your boyfriend. Um, that you will fail to get a license yeah, if yeah. you do that. But they're thinking about re revising that. And then there's a group looking at pastoral reassurance, which is a very patronizing way of saying, what do we do with all those people who want to stick to the Bible and Orthodox Christianity? Um, in July, they're going to double down and say, we're keeping on with this stuff. But then in November, those three groups will come back, report, and we'll have a vote. So the okay. ding-dong argument is probably going to happen in November. Um, that's when it will happen. Yeah, but good to be praying now because the work is being done now. Right. The work is being done now, and there are, there are good conservative evangelical people involved in that. Uh, Charlie Screen, for example, from All Souls Lang yep. Place, mm -hmm. is involved in one of those groups um, alongside all sorts of people who would take Richard Coles's sort of view. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll have fallout in 2024. I imagine Justin Welby is probably going to retire at some point um, after that. And then there'll be a free-for-all. But what's happening now is the problem. In the Church of England now, all your vicar friends um, in your gospel partnerships are struggling with this. They're either bored to death by it or exhausted by it or nauseated by what's going on. And they're struggling with, with this big <laughs> intake of breath before yeah. July and November hit them not and, knowing what's and going presumably on. that works at different levels because there'll be a concern and a, and a worry and anxiety about what's happening in the church in general but actually they're all pastors of local churches yeah. and so um you know i i've got ministry mates who are close to me who are in revitalization situations we would call them they've got into essentially a, a non-evangelical or a struggling parish and yes. they'll be in a very different context from well another church that you know well just down the road south of um of Kettering, where there's been solid evangelical teaching for decades. Exactly. Um, so, so actually, we, we need to have some sensitivity, don't we, to the context? Yeah, that's right. So in church society, we actually have now um, a network of revitalization ministries, NORM, we call it, NORM, okay. the network of revitalization ministries, where we try to gather and, and help the people who are in exactly that situation. Hmm. They've gone into a middle of the road or struggling Anglican church, and they're trying to turn it around over a, a period of years with patient evangelical preaching, teaching, pastoring ministry. And that's going to be very different where you don't know if the PCC, the church council um, and the congregation are going to be on board if you suddenly bring up all of this stuff. Whereas many other churches will have been doing this for years. and will, But even then, evangelical churches don't have a sort of uniformity um, always. There are always going to be people struggling either themselves or theoretically with these issues because mm. the church is being catechized by the world, by TV, by newspapers and by people they work alongside. Um, and I guess every, every Anglican church, and in this sense to be different from FIEC churches, every Anglican church would have people who come along because it is the local parish church. Yeah who perhaps don't have a grounding, you know, they just, they've moved to a new area. They're, they come along because that's what they do. So every, yeah. pretty much every Anglican church will have folk like that, won't it? Absolutely. Yes. We all have 
um, a big fringe of people, I mean, bigger in some places than others, yeah. uh, who just come because it is their local parish church. And because that actually has been over centuries the best way for the gospel to reach that place. Yeah. You know, there's one big church in the center of mm -hmm. the village with a village green and a thatched cottage and a vicarage. That's been an obvious place to start gospel ministry and, and an obvious place to gather anybody for funerals, baptisms, weddings, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so this, it is a struggle um, wherever you are, knowing mm. how to deal with the pastoral issues, yeah. the theological issues. I, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of churches that are well-known evangelical churches um, in the Church of England, but haven't actually taught on this issue. Mm. And would say, well, we don't know if, where the PCC, the Church Council, are on this issue. Um, and this has been a real spur to many of them to say, well, perhaps we ought to be addressing some of these things yeah. and talking yeah. about them. Yeah. How, Lee, how can I help my mate down the road? I, I, I'm thinking especially of, you know, there are some people that I'll know very well, right? Yeah. That, you know, maybe I, w I went to college with them. We've stayed in a little fraternal group. You know, we're, we're best of mates. I don't have a problem ringing him up. Let's call him Bob. I can ring Bob up, have a very honest conversation. We're really good friends. Um, but, you know, um, Trev, who's just down the road the other way, I, I know him, you know, I know him from gospel partnership stuff, perhaps. Um, but, you know, we don't hang out together. But, you know, he's a, he's a good ministry mate. How can I be a help to him? I'm worried about misstepping. I'm worried about see, being patronising. He's been a great help to me in the past. How can I help him now? Okay, what what advice have you got for me to be able to you know reach out in a way that's helpful and sensitive? I don't just want to ignore him. He may want me to ignore him, but I don't just want to pretend you know <clears throat> you're over there. This is your issue. Yeah. Thank you, and it's great if people are thinking that about how they can support those of us in the Church of England wanting to reform and renew it for biblical faith. Um, we're facing things that are existential, really. So on a congregational model, you can, in some ways, just set up a new church if it all yeah, goes bad. Yeah, yeah. You can't really do that on an Anglican model of things. Um, and so if, if it all goes pear-shaped for us, we could lose house, job, church all at once and not know what to do about it. So it is a sort of existential crisis for many, and that's deeply worrying. And so any encouragement to stand firm and well, sympathy empathy in such a situation will be really well received i would have thought even if it's only a postcard an email a pat on the shoulder if you see them in the streets or a phone call um to say i hear i've heard about all this stuff i'm sorry you're having to deal with it um please pray you know please know that we're praying for you that would be wonderful <clears throat> and um, i'm just thinking as well we need to be as we talked about before sensitive to the context yes are in. and i and i guess you know, many of us will have grown. I, I grew up in an Anglican church, so so I I decided a long time ago I wasn't an Anglican. Sorry, Lee. Um, you apostatized. I yes, maybe. <laughs> so um, I I think it's very easy for someone in my position to say, well, of course you just leave and you know start. And in fact, I I have heard a well-known Anglican bishop say exactly that well you just need to leave and that's mission that's the cost of mission and i just think there needs to be a bit more sensitivity doesn't there that actually as you say it is existential um, we're yeah. talking about you know livelihoods we're talking about house we're talking about pension you know and these things 
Of course, there's a cost to following Christ and serving Christ, but I, I, I worry that we could be very easily too glib about that. Yes. And, and, we, and we mustn't be. Believe me, all of us have thought about it. Mm. All of us have considered it. And it won't just be those practical, pragmatic, earthly things that are stopping us from doing it. There are, there are also other reasons because, to be honest, a lot of us are very bloody-minded and we don't want to give up to the liberals, which, who are cuckoos in the nest. We yeah. don't want to give up something that is precious about the Church of England and Anglican. So, as I say, our doctrine is supposed to be the scriptures um, and good reformed Protestant doctrine. Why should we give up just because some liberals have captured some levers of power? We don't think that we should give up right away. So, but we've all thought about it because it's nauseating, exhausting. So, um, yeah, don't call us all to suddenly leave. No, no. Because that would be painful. And well, we're trying not to do that. And are trying not to. And yeah, every church is different. It's, you know, it's a different mm. situation for everybody. Well, also, I think, and this is just a, a general principle in ministry anyway, isn't it? That actually we've got to be careful about binding other people's consciences. That's it. Um, I think different people will have a different level of conscience for some people that will be an easy thing and easy decisions to make other people that's very different and and i think it's very easy to be judgmental about people who don't have the same conscience level and that's yeah. not a technical term but you, you know what i mean i think we've got to be careful we will all disagree on yeah. tactics within yeah. we do already within different groups within yes. conservative evangelicalism which presumably is a great satanic strategy isn't it oh absolutely yeah <laughs> great conspiracy but um we'll disagree on how to respond to it and we need to be careful um, to make sure we're not uh, writing off people who are almost exactly the same as us, but just disagreeing on this tiny thing in terms of approach to kickback, pushback against this stuff. So we have to be careful not to judge and write each other off for those things. But also remember, I think, that our response to false teaching is on a spectrum. So we, we all know we need to fight valiantly against the world, the flesh and the devil, um, and to be Christ's faithful soldiers and servants, because that's what we, um, we, we say at uh, baptisms in the Church of England. So we know we need to do that. But the way we do that could be preaching against it, writing a sermon against it, joining a petition, withholding our parish uh, share for a bit, uh, just pausing it maybe, to full-blown leaving the Church of England for something else. There are a spectrum of responses, and different churches can make different responses at different times, and we need to be careful not to say everyone should do this right now. So I guess one challenging, if you want to challenge us, ask us, what are you doing to respond to it, rather than telling us we ought to do one particular yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Because we're all doing something, that's um, really helpful, Lee. Thank you very much. Uh, listen, we're out of time. Oh, go on. Yes, you've got, you've got, one, you've got one minute. Okay, Paul writes 1 Timothy to tell Timothy, counter false teaching in Ephesus. That's why I'm telling you to stay there, counter it. And when he gets around to saying what he should do first, beginning of chapter 2, first of all, then, I urge you to pray. So people ask me all the time, what are you going to do about all of this false teaching? but very few people turn up to the prayer meetings to pray about it. So that should be our first of all response.
to any of this. So uh, we take that as a challenge, but please also FIC friends, brothers and sisters, pray for us. We will happily accept that. Lee, it's been a great help. Thank you. I understand a lot more and um, we will be praying on. Um, it does seem like it's been a very long drawn out process. There's still a way to yeah. go, it sounds. So um, we're, we're praying um, all hope is not lost. And uh, we pray for you, especially Lee, and for folk at the Church Society and the CEEC. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, and we'll pray that you'll continue to stand firm. So thanks for joining us, Lee. We do appreciate your time. Um, and thank you for joining us. This has been Independence, the FIEC podcast. And if you uh, enjoy the podcast, please do rate or review um, or leave a comment about how um, much you like Lee Gates' beard. And um, then that way people will discover us and um, listen in. Thanks very much, Lee. And see you again soon. Thank you.